Hey, hey, welcome in to another episode of Stub Me Down. My name is JW, and as usual, I am here with Skinny, who is sitting right across the table from me, which is a little bit different than how we usually record our episodes. This is only the second time, Skinny, that we have recorded live and in person with each other. So I'm pretty excited not only to do that, but also to get into a really good show that we have on tap for today. Skinny, say hello to the people. Hey man, what's up? This is really weird to like sit across from you and record this. I, yeah. I mean, I do remember when we did this last summer, and I think we recorded out of one mic. I don't know. It takes us a while, but we get it together, don't we? A couple YouTube videos, and we're right on it, right? They all had English accents. Maybe that was a problem. It was funny. Yeah, that one lady did say garage band a little bit weird. Garage band. But we are here. This is episode eight of season two of Stub Me Down. What a great season we have had so far. We just have so much fun doing this, and today will be no different. We've got tour right around the corner, only weeks away from getting back in the parking lot, going to see some shows, so I can't wait for that experience. It's going to be just so much fun. So for the rest of the season, we'll be live and in person. We don't want to give too much away. We're going to have a very special guest on the final episode of the season, and we're going to do something really cool for episode nine as well. We don't want to let too much out of the bag, but definitely some cool things on the horizon after this one. Skinny, on our last episode, episode seven of Stub Me Down, you stubbed me down on a fish show from July 9th, 2016 in Hartford, Connecticut. Great show on paper. A lot of fun there with the unique opener, Pigtail. We talked a little bit about that. We talked about the vultures, the Let Me Lie bust out in the first set. A couple of, I wouldn't say big jams, but medium-sized jams with the first set ending, You Enjoy Myself, and then the second set opening, down with disease, but there wasn't much exploration or imagination beyond those two songs. So a good show on paper, not quite the jammiest version, but I know that this show was significant for you in a number of other ways. So it was really cool to hear about it, and it was a very tight show, but it wasn't, I don't know, what would you give an overall evaluation of that show? Well, I will just say overall. I mean, it was my first show with Amy, and then we took off like Branson's rocket ship today or whatever the hell he's doing out in outer space. But we saw so many shows after that. I think the significance of it for me is that it kind of started this whole friendship, relationship, and love, not only for each other, but also the band. So we've been traveling around since we've been together the last five years, seeing him, checking out new cities. I mean, we went to St. Louis, and the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup while we were at the show. Uh, the second night we were there. So went out to L.A., went to a Dodgers game. So we're doing stuff. We're traveling the country. And obviously that got shut down for a while, but now we're back to doing it. And I think that is really what grounds our relationship is that we have this thing that we both really, really enjoy, make fun of, get sad about, whatever. It covers all the range of those emotions. And, you know, look where we ended up. We just got married last year. We're actually going to celebrate our one-year anniversary right before the Atlantic City shows, so we're going up one day early. I know Atlantic City is not really a honeymoon destination, <laughs> but you know we will definitely make the most of it. And on tap that weekend is, is going to just be amazing. 
I don't want to give too much away either, but it will happen to be my birthday. So not only do I want you to say hi to me, I want you to say hi, happy 51st birthday. I can't believe I'm turning 51. It's so crazy. But yeah, I enjoyed talking about that episode so much. I know Amy's going to love to hear it. So it brought back a lot of memories for me. And these are memories that we continue to make and have. So it's been awesome. You make an important point there too, buddy, because going to see fish is an experience, right? Going to see fish with friends, as we've done a lot of occasions, is amazing. But going to see fish and deriving the same enjoyment out of it as a significant other to share that, it's such a big part of our lives. And to be able to share that emotion, joy, intimacy, special things that happen at different shows, to be able to go and do that with someone. You know, you always have a show buddy. Megan uh, is that for me. Megan and I have been going to see fish shows together since 2014, and we don't look back. Each one of those experiences, when we're with a crew, is amazing, incredible. But when it's just her and I, it's a different experience. It's one that really... Not everybody has, you know? I look at me, I'm kind of lucky because I had you. And I had you. (laughs) I told you, we're kind of a couple. We are a little bit of a couple. (laughs) Then I had Megan and you, and then Amy came into the mix, and, you know, it's the fearsome foursome, man. And to be able to go and and see shows, the four of us together, it's just so cool. So this, this show in Hartford, I think... While was very cool, I have not seen fish in Connecticut, so you've got that one on me. But the opportunity to start a journey with Amy, I I know you guys have gone to some very cool places to see fish. Having fish-centric vacations has been a central part of your relationship with her, was a big part of your marriage ceremony. So just a very cool concert to hear about in that respect, you know, and, and we're all about taking a look at things from a different perspective here on Stummy Down. And so to hear about this show and less so about the music, but more so about the experience of that first time going to a show with somebody that you have an interest in and how well it worked, it has a lasting impact. And that's a different perspective. It's a different view of that show than just talking about you enjoy myself or your 10th set to opening down with right. disease. And I agree with you. It's a little bit more deeply personal than, you know, uh, wasn't what I wanted or they didn't really explore or they just kind of like we said stacked the deck and didn't really go anywhere or there's no unhappiness about it at all you know and I think that's been one of the, the positive criticisms about this show is that it's deeply personal and that show is deeply personal for me it's not even close to being probably one of my favorite shows even that I've seen with Amy but it, it's deeply personal because it's the first show that we saw together we did it on a whim and that's the kind of shit that relationships are made of we live a routine life every day we both go to work you guys do the same thing we talk about it all the time on the phone you know when we see each other and it's a passing conversation but the fact of the matter is we make life happen when we do those things like you said like fish-centric vacations or uh, we just travel together and maybe see music anyway it's not always just fish trust me but yeah I, I think that's why 
I wanted to talk about that show just because, again, it's that personal uh, attachment that I have to it because I went there with Amy. So, yeah, it's great. No doubt. Of course, I was equally pleased because you brought Amy into the crew, and she's pretty sweet. So that crew of four is is pretty tight, and we've had we've had some good times in in a short amount of time. So. As I said, so we are here. This is episode eight of Stub Me Down. I am going to be stubbing Skinny Down today. Talk about seeing something for the first time with someone really applies very well to today's conversation. So Skinny, you got anything else before we get into today's show? No, man, I am ready to do this. All right, sweet. Skinny, are you ready for me to stub you down? All right, man, absolutely. All right, buddy. Today's show, it was not our first concert together, but it was our first road trip together to see Phil Lesh and Friends at the Tower Theater in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on April 13th, 2000. So 21 years ago, Skinny, this show we were at, and here we are today talking about it. What a great show. You know, it's funny. We did a Phil and Friends show in the first season of Stub Me Down, episode four, No Apologies. We talked about a Phil show from November 17th, 2001 at the Stabler Arena in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Awesome show. Really proud of that episode as well. But during that episode, you referenced this show and said, I hope we pull this one day. And as I was determining which ticket stub stack to pull from for today, I thought, let's get a Phil and Friends show in here. We saw a lot of Phil and Friends over the early part of the 2000s. Fish wasn't touring for a few years, kind of on and off there. So we did see a lot of Phil. This show has great significance for me personally, but I'm sure for you as well, because this kind of, I feel like really kicked off our friendship in many ways. We had been to a concert before. We had seen the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Foo Fighters at the Baltimore Arena a couple months before. And that was fun, but that was like a bunch of people we worked with. This was the first time you and I got in the car, drove to another city, and went to a jam band show. Man, this show did not disappoint. My mind was blown from the minute we walked in, even though we were a little bit late. And it really holds a very special place in the list of concerts that we've seen together because I really count this as as the first one. Yeah, I do too. It started it all. I mean, that's what all you have to say. I mean, Christ, that might even be the name of the episode. But it did. (laughs) (laughs) See, now I just gave that away. But... My feeling about this was it was so happenstance that it occurred. We had been talking about music like this. But again, I didn't really know what was around. I certainly didn't know about Phil and Friends. I didn't know about the year before when Phil played with Paige and Trey uh, out in San Francisco somewhere. I don't even know where it was now I'd, I'd have yeah, to like the Warfield yeah yeah right the, there are famous shows like ah you know what I mean amazing and, yeah Steve Kimmock was the other guitar right and they they blended a bunch of fish and, and dead catalog which you know that's just I'm sure the people that were there had an awesome time I had no idea that was going on I literally didn't uh, Josh just talked about 
the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Foo Fighters show. I was actually at that kind of time every year was working the WHF festival. This was a big festival that was at RFK Stadium in DC and you know, I was into some alternative music a little bit. I really did like what the Foo Fighters were doing. Uh, there were some impactful bands that were coming around. Beck uh, also was starting. I mean, I saw Wyclef. I wouldn't say like I was chasing that or following that. I just happened to, to be able to work that festival for three years in a row, two at RFK and one year at the Raven Stadium. To see this with you really kickstarted the entire thing again for me. Really what this is is 21 years ago, I got reinvigorated uh, after a five-year hiatus, I would say. It's not really a hiatus, but like a five-year, I don't really know what's going on in that scene. Here we are now, and I'm we're doing a podcast about it, and there's all this stuff that I've been involved with over, over the course of those 21 years. And this show, there's going to be a reason when we start talking about it, why this show reinvigorated that passion for this type of music for me. I mean, there's no doubt about that. If you look at when this was, this was really right at kind of the beginning of the internet age. There were websites around, but it was not as prevalent. You know, you definitely didn't have an app on your phone that would tell you who was playing at the bar down the street tonight and for the next two weeks, right? Which you can do now. You had to kind of be in the know to know who was playing and where they were playing. I had started seeing Fish two years before. 98 was my first Fish show. Of course, I had always enjoyed The Grateful Dead, but I didn't start listening to them hardcore until after Jerry died. And so I didn't really even know that there was an opportunity to see any of the surviving members of The Grateful Dead play. I had seen Phil and Friends once previously, and they played the Baltimore Arena in November of 99, but it was just a single set show. I think they were playing with Bob Dylan or something like that. I don't really remember too much about that experience. I mean, it's the strangest thing how I found out about this particular show. I was working at Jay Paul's with you. The manager there, a friend of ours who we have mentioned in previous episodes of Stub Me Down, Joe, who is no longer with us. But Joe was a huge Grateful Dead fan. Loved music of all sorts, but absolutely loved the Grateful Dead. And I was working one day, and he made a comment about, hey, Dubs, are you going to see Phil and Friends up in Philly? And I said, I didn't even know that he was playing up there. And he said, yeah, they're doing two nights. He said, I'm going the second night. Of course, I was working, and I said, I, I think I'm working. And he said, I'll, I'll, I'll let you off the schedule if you want to go. So I scammed a couple of tickets, and I didn't have anybody to go with. It might have actually have been Joe that said, hey, you should ask Skinny if he wants to go. I can visualize where I was standing in the restaurant when we were talking about this. I figured, you know what, even if I can't find somebody to go with, I'll go by myself and I'll sell the extra ticket out front or whatever. But I got you involved and... It's a funny story, by the way. You used to work days there. So I was working another job and I only worked maybe one or two weeknights and then I worked the weekends, so I'd work the weekends with you, and that's when we would hang out. And obviously, restaurant people, you all know, like, once you get out, like, you try to find someplace. So you get an hour drinking beers and hanging out with the people that you work with because a lot of them are like-minded as you are. Some of them aren't, but, you know, we were. 
So I would see you kind of in passing a little bit, but during those times, even in the summer, I, w- I would be working. So we would have to like arrange to hang out. But I do remember you called. I didn't have a cell phone at this point. <laughs> well, you had mine. <laughs> yeah, I would use yours all the time. It's so funny. Man, that's a, a completely another. Like <laughs> We could do a whole episode on skinny phone calls from JW's cell phone. There were some phone calls that needed to be made. <laughs> But I will tell you, I remember you called the restaurant, and I still know your phone number to this day. Obviously, I'm not going to say it right now. I've had the same one for 22 years. Yeah, exactly. And it's crazy. Like, if there was one phone that I knew the exact number to, nowadays you just can't even remember. It's funny. I got tested by Amy the other day. I was like, your phone number is like two, four, three, niner. Did I catch a niner in there? (laughs) The best part was you called me and you're like, you want to go? And I'm like, I'm working. It was one of those weeknights I had to work. But luckily, Joe was a close friend of mine for many years before I had met Josh. And I started working there because Joe gave me a, it was like a supplemental job. You know, it paid for fun. Basically, it also helped out. I said, Joe, man, Josh has said, you know, he's going up to Philly to see Phil Lash or whatever. I'm like, he asked if I could go. He's like, all right, you can go. So, just like that. Because it was Grateful Dead music, and Joe loved Grateful Dead music so much. That's what I'll always remember about him. And I went, and that was it, man. We were on, you know, we were in traffic in no time. (laughs) It's funny, too, because that was not the only show that Joe ever cut somebody for. And he cut me so that he and I and, and his brother Jason, who we've also talked about on the podcast... He got me out off work so the three of us could go see Government Mule at the Wrecker Theater, which was one of Alan Woody's last shows. So he definitely had a soft spot for letting you off of work to go to shows. And I remember when we were getting ready to go on Fish Tour a few months after this particular show, he said, you know, you guys work your butts off these next couple days and, you know, go and have a good time at, at Fish, even though... He loved to say that there was, there's no pH in my pond, JW. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 as much as he could be kind of, well, he could be a dick. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he wasn't. I mean, when we were working, man, he he was just a hardcore restaurant guy. He was a general manager, so everything had to be the way he wanted it to. There was no conjecture. You couldn't argue with him and say, but I did this. He's like, well, what are you doing now? But when it did come to this stuff, you know, I, I mean, if my dog would have died, he'd been like, I don't care. You got to work a double tomorrow. Good luck. Like, <laughs> what What do you need? A shovel to help bury it? It's a summer in the city, skinny. Right. We got customers coming in at 1030. But if it was music related, Joe had an immediate soft spot because what he wanted to do was talk about it the next day. And that's what we're going to do today is kind of talk about a show that's that's really good from Tower Theater in Philadelphia. Actually, should we say Upper Darby? I don't want to piss off the residents of Philadelphia. Sure, yes. The Tower Theater is in Upper Darby, if you are not familiar with the greater Philadelphia area. Right. West say. side, West side of Philly. There are a lot of great music venues in Philly. The Tower Theater is absolutely one of them. This was a cool show, man. So this was the first of two nights that Phil and Friends played there. When we talked in the first season of Stub Me Down about a Phil show, that was a different lineup. It was a solidified lineup. That was Phil. It was Warren Haynes, Jimmy Herring, 
John Molo on drums and Rob Baracco on the keys. But really through the 90s and the first part of 2000, Phil was experimenting with a number of different lineups. He had Robin Ford. Billy Payne. Yeah, Billy Payne. He had Warren Haynes. He had Derek Trucks. When I saw him at the arena, Derek Trucks was playing guitar. He had just a a number of people that he was playing with. This particular show featured, obviously, Phil, Rob Baracco on keys, John Molo on drums, Jimmy Herring on guitar. And then the second guitarist was Jeff Pivar who is mostly a solo artist, but has done a, a number of things. He played with Ray Charles. He did some stuff with David Crosby. So he's been around. He def- he, was, he did some stuff with Jazz is Dead. So he definitely knows the catalog very well. The one really cool thing from all of the Phil shows that we saw, it didn't matter who was playing guitar. The dueling guitars and Phil conducting the band... Man, everything was just so good. I mean, it was just so good. And I remember, as we said, we we arrived late to this show, so we missed probably the first, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes of the show, 25 minutes of the show, because traffic was so bad trying to get into Philly. Delaware sucks, dude. Delaware sucks. I'm sorry, all you Delawareans out there, but your traffic is the worst. Smallest state, most traffic. But the lineup didn't matter, really. And this show with Jeff Pivar on guitar stands up as well as any show with the quintet, which is basically what the solidified lineup with Warren and Jimmy on guitar ended up being called. But, man, this show just absolutely smoked. And Pivar played... 15 shows with Phil. So he this was actually kind of at the beginning of his run. He played in April and May of 2000 with Phil. And then when Phil got up, geared up for the summer tour, he switched up. I think Robin Ford came back into the mix and Billy Payne. And, and he was doing a couple of different things. Warren would sit in from time to time over that summer of 2000, which we also saw a couple of shows there. This show here, I mean, it's not a long show as far as the number of songs, but man, the jamming and the poignance of some of the music that they play, I think really still holds up today. And I was just super stoked to grab this ticket out of the stub pile. It's one that, to be honest with you, I hadn't listened to in a few years. So it was really cool to go back and listen to it a few times in preparation for today. Yeah. uh, I can't agree with you more. Let's get into the set a little bit. So the first set was a jam, which was always a vehicle throughout every Phil show we've ever seen. And, and we can talk a little bit about that. We did touch on that last year, the argument about jam or what, what was the argument? Intro. Either jam or intro. Joe always said intro. I always said jam. And I wrote it down. So, Well, everybody has it listed as jam. So That's right. Jam into Help on the Way, Slipknot. Cosmic Charlie, New Potato Caboose, and a cover by the Youngbloods called Get Together. Yeah, a song probably everybody would know when they hear it. It's in Forrest Gump and any movie about the 60s and Peace and Love, man. You're going to hear Get Together, right? Yeah, and and again, we didn't get into the show until probably you're right. I felt like 30 minutes late sounds about right. I think we were about 30 minutes late. 
And I, I do remember specifically, it's a poignant memory, walking down the mid aisle of the tower, trying to find what row we we're in so we can get in there and not bother anybody. But they're already heavy into this help on the way, which is like, man, it's 20 minutes on relist. And it's just, I was like, holy shit. Like, I wish we wouldn't have missed that, but would I remember it? But I do remember walking down into the tower, which if you've ever been to the tower, it's just a beautiful venue. It's probably not as nice as the beacon, but it has that same type of beacon decor with the curtains on the side and the woodworking. I think that's why you can't really smoke in there. They're afraid that the thing's going to go up like a matchbook. You know what I mean? They were very vigilant about smoking anything in there. You know what I mean? They didn't care if you were smoking banana peels. They just felt, I guess, that the place could just torch up. <laughs> Help on the way is just a great time. I'm like, wow, I hope this is the beginning of the show. Like, they didn't do anything before that. And this is what we're coming into. So, yeah, I was really really excited it's funny too i i remember specifically when i got the cds from this show listening to the jam intro into help on the way the jam is like 15 minutes and it is so fucking badass i was blown away and also simultaneously very pissed that we had missed that because honestly, that first 40 minutes or so of the show is, I mean, it's probably the best part of the show. And that's high praise because this show was just so good. We walk in and the one thing that I do recall specifically, and I have a very specific memory about this, was I, and we talked about this when we talked about Phil and when we've talked about The Grateful Dead, that I never saw The Grateful Dead, I never saw Jerry Garcia. And so every time I have gone to see a Grateful Dead-related project, my feeling, my emotion is, how close am I? Is this it? This was close, but so different, and a, a completely different take on Grateful Dead music. And the other thing that I absolutely loved about seeing Phil and Friends was that he was resurrecting songs that had been long dormant in the Grateful Dead catalog. You're talking about in just in this set, the Cosmic Charlie and the New Potato, those were not necessarily frequently played tunes with the Grateful Dead, especially in their last 15 or 20 years, right? So these were songs that had been basically been put on the shelf for one reason or another, and Phil was bringing them back, breathing this new life into them, and I'm sure for deadheads like you and Joe and Jason that got to go and see these things and experience that, you're talking about rarities that weren't played going as far back as the, seven, the early 70s, right? I mean, the Cosmic Charlie, the last time the Grateful Dead played, that was in 1976. I mean, that was before I was fucking born, bro. And now I'm catching Cosmic Charlie, New Potato. We talked about in the first season, we talked about that 2001 show was Passenger, right? And all of these songs that Phil had brought in these two amazing guitarists to play, and that blew me away just listening to, it was it was a lot of music at the beginning of the show, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Jimmy Herring was really bringing it, too. And, you know, I had to go back and just try to pick out the P-Bar Herring parts, but it didn't really matter because they're playing in such 
line with each other, parallel, playing off of each other. The jams in this entire show are great. The Help Slip, I mean, a Help Slip Cosmic Charlie is unheard of. Yeah, it was like a 16-minute Cosmic Charlie, too. It wasn't just a quick run through. It's unheard of. So already, I am over the moon. I'm like, I can't believe I was missing out on this. How long have these guys been around? You know, I don't have any data with me to know that. Or we're too late to the show to even have a conversation with people about what shows they've seen or what they're kind of like or that dynamic. We have nothing. I have no intel at all. Again, I'm off the grid. And I hear that. And then, like, people are singing the Cosmic Charlie part, like, Go on home, your mama's calling you. It's just like one of the best, like, together harmonies, like, as a deadhead. It's so great. I love when they play it at the end of a set or the end of a show because it's almost like if they're playing the next night, they're like, Go on home, your mama's calling you. That was a little too much for you tonight. <laughs> you know what I mean? We'll see you tomorrow. Take it easy. <laughs> Get a piece of pizza. So, you know, that alone in itself helped. Well, of course, the intro jam, but we missed. Help Slip, Cosmic Charlie, and then a new Potato Caboose. It's not like two, they're not taking these things for a ride. They're not standard versions like a studio album where they're just trying to get their feet wet and see if this works. They're making it work so good that I know I walked out of that. Well, I'm not going to talk about how I walked out. I'll talk about that later, but I was definitely, I couldn't believe it. Well, I couldn't believe it. And for me in 2000, I was still very much learning the Grateful Dead catalog. I had a good handle on, you know, the popular things. I knew Help on the Way and Slipknot and Franklin's Tower and the songs that you would, you know, everything that was on without a net. So there were still a lot of tunes. And and as I've said before, most of my interest when I started listening to the Grateful Dead was really like 1977, 78. So the Terrapin and you know, what they were playing at that time generally was what I was familiar with. Go to Heaven, stuff like that. Right, yeah. sure. And so Cosmic Charlie and New Potato Caboose were two songs that I had never heard of before walking into the tower that night. To experience that was just so cool. And I really felt like I was a part of something special seeing these tunes and you said to me and I remember this and we'll talk about it a little bit more with the second set but I remember you looking and saying the Grateful Dead never played these songs (laughs) they didn't and and here they are and they're ripping versions and Phil sounds great that Phil sounds as good as Phil sounds vocally I feel like Rob Baracco sings help on the way I think Phil sings Cosmic Charlie here. And it's just so much fun to experience these songs. If you think about it this way, bro, you know, when you go to a show, like, you know, we're going to be going to see Fish, you're going to know everything they play, right? We've been seeing Fish for a long time. You're going to know every song for the most part. Well, I mean, unless it's like super new material, I I won't know that. Right, yeah, maybe some of the Lonely Planet stuff we might not be as familiar with. But that's because it's new, not because it's old, right? Right. And with this, it was both new and old. And that was a very cool thing for me to experience. And I remember kind of being a little bit deer in headlights and 
totally feeling like, wow. As the set evolved, the Cosmic Charlie, the new Potato Caboose was almost 10 minutes, I think. So there was a, there was just a ton of jamming. This is not a long song. This is a five-song first set, but it filled up the room with just so much music. Very dynamic, very exploratory, and just, you know, anytime you get the dueling guitars, with Jimmy Herring being one of them, and I think Jimmy and Jeff had had some experience playing together maybe before with Jazz is Dead. I'm not sure exactly how those years line up, but the way they talked to each other through their guitars, and then eventually it would be Warren and Jimmy doing it, and we saw quite a number of those shows with the quintet, but their take on these songs the way they played them, the way they interacted, and the way Phil kind of conducted the whole thing just blew me away. I, I feel like maybe if we had gotten like a shitty show, would we have had as good a time? How would the trajectory of our friendship have changed maybe if the show sucked or, you know? Yeah, I know you're spitballing. It's funny to say those things. You know, that's kind of very Socratic of you. They probably would have done the same thing. You would have heard something in there. You're like, I'm going back again. You know, we talk about that too. It's We both play golf. Not very well. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like hitting a good golf shot. Yeah, you hit that one and you've had a shitty day. You shot like a 147,000, whatever. You know, you're just like, I suck at this game. But, you know, you hit that one shot. You're like, ah, yeah, I'll go. You know, I'll go again. So I, I think that that just proves that I think we would have had probably the same trajectory. I know I was having a lot of fun at this show, you know, and then they round it out with a, a cover by the Youngbloods called Get Together, which Josh mentioned, if you've, if you've seen Forrest Gump, you've heard it. Come on, people now. John on with your brother. Is that right? Smile on with your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a you know, uh, the hippie anthem of the late 60s. And, um, but yeah, I mean, a Youngbloods cover from 1967. I love the tie-in back to the old school, you know, the early years of the Grateful Dead and the San Francisco scene. Dino Valenti from Quicksilver Messenger Service had written this. The Kingston Trio covered it. And then it really took off with the Youngbloods, who this was like a, a chart-topping hit for them. And it still is. And it still is, right. This is, a, this is a tune that if you've sat in a history class that has talked about the 1960s and the hippie movement and the anti-war movement, you've definitely heard this song before. So it was a cool tie-in and something that the Grateful Dead never played. So just in this set, you've got the Help on the Way, Slipknot into Cosmic Charlie. Last time Cosmic Charlie had been played by the Grateful Dead was in September of 76. New Potato Caboose, the last time the Grateful Dead played that was in June of 1969. So we're talking about... <laughs> we're talking... I looked in the dead base for that one. Well, no, I'm just like, it's, it's mind-blowing. I mean, you got to do your research. I don't mind that. I, it's mind-blowing. I mean, Again, it kind of builds off that conversation we had when we talked about that 2001 show of Phil resurrecting tunes that the Grateful Dead had, for all intents and purposes, abandoned. And 
These are amazing songs. They're great, great songs. I kind of thought as I was doing them, like, why, why would the Grateful Dead stop playing Cosmic Charlie? Like, is it too complicated that they just not like it anymore? Did it bring up like a bad memory or something? You know, same with New Potato Caboose, although that's, I, I feel like a little bit more of like a composed piece and has a, a bunch of different levels and layers and stuff like that. I'm not a musician that hadn't been played in 30 years. And so now Phil is bringing them out and I just thought that it increased the significance and importance for me of going to see Phil Lesh. I mean, Phil, aside from Jerry, is my favorite member of the Grateful Dead because of shows like this. And this, this I think, even more so than the, the very first time I saw him in November of 99, this show was way more impactful as far as a trajectory of going to see Grateful Dead-related projects. Yeah, and the hits just keep on coming with that entire line of what you're talking about in the second set. So let me read back over the first set real quick before we jump into the second. So this is Phil and Friends from the Tower Theater in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. Trying to be nice to the Philly fans. <laughs> I don't want them to like break in my car and shit the next time we go there. <laughs> yeah, be careful. We're still looking for Brian from Attendance Bias's uh, It t-shirt. Oh, yeah, that's right. floating around somewhere in the greater Philadelphia area. Right, exactly. So they started off with a jam, Help on the Way, Slipknot, Cosmic Charlie, New Potato Caboose, and then the cover by the Youngbloods, Get Together. So the second set... It's like more of the same, man. It's just crazy. So again, there's a jam into a bird song, alligator, into days between, dire wolf, not fade away, Franklin's tower. And then if you're familiar with Phil and Friends, he does what we call the donor rap where he talks about his own transplant story and how you should tell your family, especially younger fans out there. I always thought it was great introduces the band and kind of just explains his appreciation for us as fans that from what I remember you guys are the ones that make it happen there's a lot of times when he would say that to us and I always felt that was so personal we're, we're going back on this personal kick maybe that's kind of our philosophy for today but Phil was always very personal about when he thanked the fans and I, I love that and then they end it with uh, another cover tune, which is a very strange cover tune, but everybody's covered it. It's not very strange. Why am I saying that? So they encore with Whiskey in the Jar, which we can talk about too at the end of this set. is more of a traditional tune, but it's been covered so many times. It's out of control. A lot of people are familiar with the Metallica version. Of yes, that. the Metallica version. I forgot about that. So, I mean, I'll start it off with this get together right before that and then the next song bird song which i had seen the grateful dead play that was still in their repertoire when i was seeing them so if you're not familiar where i saw them from 87 to 95 that was still being played but i love the reference about what you were talking about the the 60s and the anti-war movement because that song's about janice joplin and i mean who better to identify with than janice joplin for that time i mean if i'm gonna ask you about musicians from that era you're gonna say Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Jerry Garcia. You know, you're gonna, they're gonna be on your top five. So, you know, to open up with that bird song, really just now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, wow, they were kind of tying this a little bit together based on what they were playing. And I know that that was a conscious effort by Phil. Phil said 
that he would try to tell a story every show. Now, whatever the story is, we aren't privy to, but it would be interesting to ask him. Well, and I thought that jam to open the set, the first thing that struck me was the very first notes. It sounded like Crazy Fingers. There's a couple of people on Relisten, if you listen closely, are freaking out, I think, thinking that this is Crazy Fingers. But again, you're talking about another 10-minute jam before they drop into the bird song. And the bird song is a very, very nice version, very touching, nice, like, melodic, emotive jamming in that particular version. I looked up some of the bird song statistics from the Grateful Dead, that very, very frequently played song, up until the end in 95. Interestingly, Skinny, one of the things that caught my eye was that very, very often Birdsong by the Grateful Dead was followed by Promised Land, which I kind of thought, wow, those two kind of line up. You know, you've got the Birdsong and then you've got the kind of the upbeat Promised Land. I I think there's a little bit of a message there, but I also kind of thought, well, maybe that was part of the Grateful Dead formula. We talked about that right. a little bit earlier in this season in uh, episode two when you stumped me down on that Grateful Dead show from 1991. And we talked a little bit about the Grateful Dead having a formula for shows and especially seeing the frequency with how often Promised Land followed Birdsong. I thought that that, that fit well there. Yeah, and I was going to say about this Birdsong, towards the end of it, after there's, there's an extensive jam session, which for me is really almost hard to describe. It devolves, it deconstructs, and then they bring it back to the don't cry now. It's just amazing. Phil like even waits on the repeat of the verse there, and the crowd just goes berserk. Right then, I'm like, is it close? I mean, my answer to you after that show was a definitive yes, so I'm going to give it away to our listeners out there. But the fact of the matter is, is... If you go back and listen to that Birdsong jam, it's really damn close. It's just not Jerry. You know, I'm sorry, but the construction and and what they did with the jam in there and then to deconstruct it and then bring it all the way back is what we love about jam band music. So to a T, that was done on this Birdsong. Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, they take the Birdsong and they go into Alligator. Again, this is one of those indelible memories I have from this show. I remember how excited you were when you realized that it was alligator. You you turned to me like, this is alligator. And I'm like, I have no fucking idea what alligator <laughs> is. And you said, oh, the Grateful Dead never played this. This is, this is huge. I can't believe I'm seeing this. And that moment, and then when we saw Joe the next day, and he said, how was the show? And I said, oh, it was great. You know, they played this, they played that, they played Alligator. And he was like, yeah, Alligator's pretty badass. And he was super excited for us that we had seen that. And, you know, and Alligator, again, it goes back to the, the same thing we talked about in the first set. The last time the Grateful Dead had played Alligator was in April of 1971. <laughs> It, that's the thing, man. I mean, you know, I was one year old, not even. I was not even a year old the last time they played that. So, of course, I mean, I'm geeked up just because, well, first of all, they played it great. This version on Relisten is amazing. It's a very fun version of the tune, for sure. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. That, that was my first, the first time I ever even fucking heard the song Alligator was sitting in the Tower Theater in 
April of 2000. The first time I'd ever even heard the song, and they played this killer version of it. And the last time they had played it, as I said, was in 71, but they only played it once in 71. They played it a few times in 1970. It was a little bit more frequent in 68, 69. But again, here's another song that Phil is bringing back to life for fans, for some hardcore deadheads. That, you know, it's one of those songs where you kind of have to be a little bit in the know to know about because you right. have to know about their early years in order to get some of get exposure to some of these tunes. So I felt very lucky and your excitement about it told me all I needed to know about being in the audience on this particular night seeing this particular show. Yeah, and you talk about trajectory of our friendship. Well, it might have started at that alligator because it's fucking the best. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like our friendship is the best. It's just an amazing friendship and it reminds me of that alligator. That alligator starts off, I mean, Molo is beating the shit out of like the toms and the drums. Even though you can say what you want about Phil's voice, he remembers all those words. That's a little bit tricky because of I think the jumpy tempo of that song and maybe that's why like who knows man Jerry might have got disgruntled and said I don't want to play that anymore or somebody else in the band who knows Phil obviously liked it a lot too you know what I mean I mean we saw a few of them over uh, over the years of seeing Phil and Friends this was not our only alligator I think we probably saw you know maybe five or six of them you know out of 30 or 40 shows I mean that's pretty good yeah it's really good and then as the conductor that he is after the initial song again it just goes into this place that only they can go to and it's not alligator anymore you know it's not what is this still alligator it's just not alligator anymore it's a different type of transition than what we talked about earlier in the season with either fish or tab it's they just go someplace else and then out of the depths of that they come up with a days between which again is a lot of people don't like that song they think it's too slow but for a slow down song i mean it's really beautifully played and you could just tell phil's the maestro man it's the maestro yeah the days between version here is it's almost haunting in yeah. a way it's sad but it's also speculative I like the imagery of the seasons. This, interestingly, I, I, I was looking some information up on Days Between. This is a Hunter Garcia tune. Around 1993, they wrote this. But this was supposed to be on a rumored, unfinished Grateful Dead album that was supposed to be the next one after Built to Last. So Days Between was going to be on there, along with Liberty, Karina, So Many Roads. Samba in the rain. They were playing those a lot, like from 93 to 95. You were definitely going to catch some of that. Yeah, and and the Dead played Days Between a number of times from 93 to 95. Phil released Liberty on There and Back Again in, what was that, 2002 when that album came out. So it was interesting to see that this song has a little bit of a history there, just a, even a brief history, but this was something that Phil has played pretty consistently. I think even Warren Haynes, 
uh, Government Mule has played Days Between uh, on a few occasions as well. So I really like this version. Like I said, it has kind of a little bit of a haunting feel, but it's not as melancholy as the music sounds if you read the lyrics. You know, and then of course now the Days Between refers to the time between August 1st, Jerry's birthday, and August 9th, the date that Jerry passed. Um, so if you listen on Grateful Dead Radio, the days between is kind of that reflective celebratory period between Jerry's birth and death. This tune kind of fits nicely with that. So I, there is that, you know, obviously sadness about Jerry dying, but I think that this tune, if you if you get into it a little bit, isn't as melancholy or sad as it might sound if you if you weren't paying attention and it's very well played as is the dire wolf which is probably the shortest song of the night but baracko i was so glad that we saw him with phil and friends for so many years talk about a guy that really knows the catalog and on the keys is just so so good he makes it sound close too and has the great tempo for the song. I love Direwolf. I don't even know if I even saw the Grateful Dead do that. I, I think I have. But again, that's just like my own research that, well, I never do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting to find out that Down With Disease second set opener number. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when I'm gonna get to that. <laughs> but then they bring it back into two staples of Grateful Dead lore that if you go to a show more than likely you're probably going to catch one of these two which is not fade away which they have a great intro to this not fade away kind of drawn out and most of the time was just like they got right to it the grateful dead phil kind of does a little bit of jamming before they get into it uh into the lyrics and then a franklin's tower to end the set it doesn't take much to sell me when it comes to this stuff i feel like this did start that whole this was the genesis no doubt about it this this show was definitely the genesis of all right you know what i'm gonna do everything i can to start going to see this shit again you made reference to this when we talked to carrie and craig from the lot the experience of bringing someone along right birds of a feather being able to go to a show with someone now, you and I have both been to shows solo. Oh, I've seen Fish solo. I've seen the other one. I've seen, a, I've seen a lot of concerts by myself because I don't want not having somebody to go with keep me from being able to go and see a show, right? However, when you have that opportunity to go with someone, there's that connection beyond just somebody that's cool to hang out with and there's this underlying connection that is there i mean we both had this music interest obsession within us it just was not with each other right right so to be able to go and do this and then realize hey wow you know what now i've got somebody that i can do this with that kind of opens up the door a little bit, the opportunity, the ability to go see shows because it can be a shit. You know what? So-and-so's playing. You want to go? Like, they're playing tonight. You want to go? I've got tour tickets coming on sale. You want to go? And that makes 
a huge difference because it is that shared enjoyment for people like us. This is more than just going to a concert and seeing music. There's a spirituality in it. There's a inner peace you can find. You know, all of that kind of philosophical stuff that you can get into a little bit when you talk about going to see shows and, and how it makes you feel. But doing it with someone, it, it just makes the experience so much different and so much better in some ways. And so this, for me, I think really kicked off our friendship. I mean, originally our friendship was focused on going to see shows together, right? We expanded that obviously into <laughs> every single other aspect of our lives. <laughs> right. Skinny helped me get started in education and I'm now, you know, a teacher for 20 years and you know, I've been there as as he's completed his education and got married and had kids and got divorced and got married again and all of the <laughs> And all of the things that I've been through, which I won't list all of those. Right, it wasn't that quick. Uh, It wasn't that quick. But, you know, you you take this one seemingly small portion of interest of your life, and then you flesh it out over 21 years, and this was the kickoff of something obviously much greater. But at the root of it all, we always go back to the music, man. And, you know, I look at, like, Not Fade Away at the end of this set. Know Our Love Will Not Fade Away. You know, that was the, the walkout music from our from Megan's and my wedding reception. And we had everybody empty out of the ballroom into the hallway with this music blaring. And it was really just the end where it's the crowd saying, Know Our Love Will Not Fade Away. And just the celebratory nature of that and how music is at the center of that love and kind of pulls us all into that middle portion no matter you know kind of where we sit around that circle we're all kind of looking in at the same thing you know and then to close the set with franklin's tower what a great bookend i mean bro they only played fucking 12 songs but the very well though but the amount of music within those 12 songs was stunning and it's such great music if you have not listened to this show please go and check it out there's a great quality version on re-listen and you will definitely enjoy every piece of this there's some great jamming there's some space there's some exploration there's some high energy there's some sit back and be reflective there's some emotive components to it the lyrics can all hit you in the right way it is a phenomenal phil and friends show and really set the standard for us as we started to follow phil and friends for seven years. Yeah, we saw a lot of shows after this. And, and I like what you're saying. I'll just support your foundation of music as kind of this catalyst to you know a relationship that spans a long time. I mean, musicians do it and, and regular folks do it too. And that's what makes that community so strong. The music is kind of like the load-bearing wall. The rest of the house is the community. And I think it starts there. And I mean, you can't wait and see. It just keeps evolving as it is. But you know that that load-bearing wall is always going to hold up that part of the house. So, you know, that's why you're doing it. And that's why you make these friendships. And those friendships do exist outside of that 
house, as it were. You know, I know ours has, and I know many, many people in the community that they feel that deeply personal connection. And not for nothing, they end the whole show, the encore is Whiskey in the Jar, which is a song that connects a community in Ireland. <laughs> it's like this traditional Irish song that we already said at the top of the show has been covered by so many different bands. And it contacts different towns like Cork and Ireland to this traditional song about a bad relationship, robbery, and all the kind of shit that we like in The Grateful Dead. So I really like bringing that into the whole mix as this, you like to say, like historical allegory, even though it's fictional, we think, or maybe it's not. Well, I mean, birdsong is historical. Right, right. From and a Janus perspective. Yeah, and it's traditional, too. It's a traditional. And, and Phil played a lot of traditional songs in those 12 songs. So traditional songs that I had never heard, that you were hearing for the first time, that might not have been on your radar. And look, that's what's the best part of the Grateful Goddamn Dead. They had a big, enormous catalog, and you could- It's unbelievable. It's it unbelievable. Is. When I was flipping through Dead Bass, doing the stats research for this show, I was fucking blown away. And every time I flip through the Grateful Dead song list, it is unbelievable. And still to this day, 20-something years after I started listening to the Grateful Dead, I'm sure that there's still stuff I don't know, you know? And that's crazy to think about. Yeah, there's stuff I don't know. I'm just, again, lucky to caught the tail end of their career, and then five years later, I'm going to see one of the band members, and we were seeing Rat Dog too, don't get me wrong, we saw Bobby several times. I remember one time on my birthday we saw him at, in Baltimore at Pier 6. But like we were seeing shows, now it was that trajectory we just talked about again. And that really just set the stage and, and made us take off to where we are now. Let me just wrap up that second set conversation by rereading the set here for you from Phil Lesh and Friends at the Tower Theater in Upper Darby slash Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on April 13th, 2000. Started off with a jam into a bird song, alligator into days between, dire wolf, and did not fade away. Franklin's Tower, Phil's classic donor rap. Please, if you're not a donor, you should. I'll back Phil up on that. And then ending it with the cover, this Irish traditional song that everybody's covered, Whiskey in the Jar. Josh, you got anything else for us on this show from Phil and Friends? I think it was interesting the second set had some animal songs, bird song, alligator, dire wolf. You know, he's looking for some sort of pattern throughout here. Other than that, no, man, what what a great show. I was just so happy to go back and listen to this one. I probably listened to the jam into Help on the Way 10 times. I don't know. Dude, it's just so good. And, uh, of course, I get get that feeling of anger and panic when we were sitting in traffic. I remember we were coming over the bridge there by the stadiums, and we were just sitting in in ass load of traffic and I'm like we're gonna make it we're gonna make it and then I was like fuck we're not gonna make it because we still gotta go once we get into the city whatever we didn't know how to get to the tower at that point you know whatever navigation we're using which if it's mine it's gonna be all fucked there was up. no navigation it was like I printed out the directions on right. MapQuest From, at yeah, work at work we 
had no fucking idea where we were going to. So I'm sure there was a, a more circuitous route to the venue than the one that we took. But we went up Market Street and went all the way west on Market. That that was the issue. <laughs> I think we saw Rocky like running. <laughs> <laughs> we might have. We did not stop for cheesesteaks, though. No. That was before I knew about John's roast pork. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's so much to talk about with Philly. Philly's a great town. We love Philly, just so you guys know. But, you know. We've seen, you know what? And honestly, I mean, we've seen a ton of shows between Philly, Camden, the Electric Factory, the Tower, the arenas downtown. So, Philly is a great town for music and being relatively close to Baltimore, we could shoot up there and shoot back without having to worry about a place to stay or anything like that. Glad we got to talk about this Phil and Friends show. This this season has been really dominated by fish, especially the guests that we've had on have talked about fish. So it's great to get into something else that really holds a, a very high place on the mantle for us musically and Obviously, the fact that this was our first road trip together, our first jam show together, really kind of kicked off the lifelong friendship that we've developed over the last 21 years. So not only is this a great show musically, but as we talked about in our last episode, Skinny talking about his experience seeing Fish for the first time with Amy, his now wife, he and I did not get married after this show. (laughs) Uh, but it certainly was the beginning of something very special, something very, I, I don't want to say beautiful because that sounds a little bit cheesy. This is a friendship that means the absolute world to me. And here we are today, man. Look, we're fucking recording podcasts talking about shit we saw 21 years ago. So I'm just super excited to be here. As we always say, we're super excited to to do stuff. And to be able to do this while we're in the same room has been a lot of fun too, man. So yeah. what, a, what, a great, what a great memory, and I'm so glad we got to talk about this one. Me too. Great show. Please check it out on Relisten. I love you too, man. I'm very grateful for our relationship, our friendship, and you know the years to come, especially this summer. I like to live in the moment and, uh, you know, the moment's really good. You know, before we go, I always want to mention some people that we're really grateful for as well on our podcast, people that we've partnered with, companies that we've partnered with. Of course, just a couple episodes, we talked to Craig from The Lot by Primal Soup and Carrie from Miss Bliss Designs, but everybody that's on a lot by Primal Soup. We want to make sure that you guys, if you're not going on tour and you're home on the couch and you want to get some fresh t-shirts or earrings or whatever, it's all on there. Literally. You got to check it out. So please check out the lot by PrimalSoup.com. They'd love to have your business and always good to support any type of small business that you can. We also have partnered with Scott Mitchell from At Fan Designs. He's on Instagram and Facebook. We're not on Facebook, but we're on Instagram. You can still follow him. And actually, I would like to say congratulations to our contest winners from Fan Designs. You commented about an episode for those giveaways. So congratulations to those three winners. We were so happy to partner with Scott Mitchell and do that. Not only does he have great stuff across the jam band scene, his shipping, everything he does, he's just great. You can contact him. He gets to you right away. So... We're really thankful for him. And last but not least, Jamazon.com. 
the hats of the century, bro. Like, I, I can't even begin to tell you that they're only in my rotation of hats. Like, I don't have, I'm not wearing anything else except for Jamazon.com. And they also have some other stuff. The coolest thing they have right now that they're working on is these LED, like, fish donut beach balls, which are like, they're the shit, dude. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like technology and and fun and throwing those around at a show. Always check out Jamazon.com. They are great, and we're so glad that we've partnered with them. The opportunity to support some of these folks, they're supporting us. It's a, it's a circle, man. You know, the wheel's turning and you can't slow down. So Skinny's right about the Jamazon hats too, man. If anybody that's out there knows me, I am a hat snob slash connoisseur. Having a good hat is central to my life philosophy. So Jamazon is where it's at. Thanks so much for checking us out here on Stub Me Down. We are going to be doing something special for episode nine. So I hope you stay with us. If you want to continue the conversation, you can check us out on the socials. We are on Twitter at stub underscore me underscore down. And we are also on Instagram at the same address, stub underscore me underscore down. Skinny, thanks so much for chatting with me about Phil and Friends from the Tower Theater on April 13th, 2000. 21 years ago, man. 21 years strong. Our friendship is going well. I mean, even a little bit longer than that. But I hope you guys are having a great time on tour. Tell your friends about Stub Me Down. We can't wait to see you guys at the next show. And we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down in the path. Stay safe, everybody. Have fun on tour. Mm -hmm.